This is Nick Goody, owner of a 3.53 ERA in three seasons as a reliever in Cleveland and a pitcher who appeared in eight of the Indians' record 22 consecutive wins in 2017. And you're listening to the Selby A's Godcast with TJ and Zach. You're listening to the Selby is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Back is Spencer at the one and two. Get the ball. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. Oh, man, my guy. Nick Goody, it's good to hear from him. My favorite part now that you've you've dropped two of these on me. First, we had Percy Garner, for those that are listening over at Patreon. Thank you, first of all. Second of all, you heard that. And now we have Nick Goody dropping us an intro. I love that they all have their unique spin on, I don't want to say justifying their place here in Cleveland because they don't need to do that, but whether it was Percy Garner talking about being part of the 2016 squad. And I love that he said all around good guy. (laughs) It's so perfect. And Hey, for once, you know, it's not patting yourself on the back. It actually applies. And Nick Goody knows exactly his earned run average in Cleveland. (laughs) Of course he does. I would too, Nick. I might've had a little direction. (laughs) What do you mean? I'm, I'm just imagining them pulling this out of their, their hat. So, wow. I'm completely floored. I figured Nick Goody recorded that from your family Christmas party. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I, love, I enjoyed good talking to Nick all the time that was uh one of my one of the more enjoyable players in Cleveland it's a perfect segue you don't know it yet but it's a perfect segue into what we're going to talk about today but as you know when you have a clubhouse that is full of star players I mean, you, you talk to those guys all the time where you get the the color to paint the picture fully are guys like Nick Goody, Dan Otero, Percy Garner, you know, when he was there. Guys that are maybe not the first guy or the second guy or maybe even the 10th guy you would go to in the clubhouse, but they're there for all of it. They see all of it. And they not only that, that they, do they see all of that, but they, they know how to relay that in the most enjoyable of ways. And so it helps you just fully paint the picture that you're trying to accomplish through an article, through a story, however you're trying to, to do it. You need people in the clubhouse that can give you that excellent quote to lead into your story like Nick Goody did so many times for me. It, it got to the point where I was like, I can't do it anymore. Nick, quit giving me gold because I can't keep leading my story with one of your quotes. <laughs> Chris Jimenez was like that, of course. There, I mean, yes. I, I think, you know, who was one of those guys is the new manager. And that's why I'm fascinated to see how he goes from, from that role to overseeing the guys in that role. Those are the those will probably be the like the hedges of the world will probably be who he leans on most because he was that guy. But yeah, it, it's we treasure them, right? Those are the guys we know when we're in a pinch, when we need to know something, when we need something explained or relayed. That's who you go to. Well, thank you for being here. It's a Selbius Godcast, our first YouTube, Apple Podcast, Spotify show of the year, and we. We thank you for sticking with us through the break. Those that have been with us over at Patreon, thank you for being there as well. So you've gotten your shows and you haven't missed us maybe as much as those that only consume us over at all the other free places. But thank you for being here with us. Yeah, I I can only tweet out so many articles that feature Michael Brantley saying, 
I was happy to get out there with my teammates and put this uniform on my back. First time you hear it, you're like, oh, okay, cool. Second time, the Indians are like, let's put that in our little media guide. <laughs> let's put that for our, our younger players to, to know how to address the media. By the 427th time you've heard it, nobody's going to click on that article. It got to the point where Michael Brantley used to, he would be in his, his locker and he'd be on his way to, whether it's go get a shower or Whatever he was making up so he didn't have to actually talk to us, it would get to, get to be the point where he would say, you know my quotes. You know what I would say. Just plug them in. <laughs> he knew it too. He was fully aware. <laughs> it's a good thing for Brantley that he was a really good player, but he's not going to be good enough to make the Hall of Fame because that would be the worst Hall of Fame speech anyone's ever delivered. He would hate it. I think he would see if he could weasel his way out of going to Cooperstown for the weekend. I mean, even a retirement speech, whenever that day comes. Yeah. yeah. I don't even what? know what he would say. I think well, he would just do like the Michael Jordan style and just have someone put out a press release that says, I'm retiring, and that's it. <laughs> we're, we're done. Uh, okay, well, what about someday when we're talking about Guardians Hall of Fame? Could Michael Brantley have to give a speech that day? Is he, could, could he come? Is he a member of a, a potential Guardians Hall of Fame someday? Probably. What happens then? It's a good question. Yeah, he doesn't want any of that. You know, there are some guys, like it's, it's Carlos Baerga will be at every single induction ceremony until the end of time, whether he played with the guy or not. Uh, and then there are other people who want nothing to do with that spotlight. Like Corey Kluber. Is Corey Kluber going to give a speech? R- Maybe right. they should just have one year where it's Kluber, <laughs> it's Brantley, it's anyone else who didn't like talking. Well, let's let's also frame this properly. It's not because Brantley or Kluber would hate Cleveland or hate the on. It's because they don't want the spotlight. It's if right. it were a if it were a Kluber ceremony, would Michael Brantley want to be there? Probably. But if it's a ceremony for Michael Brantley, no, he wants nothing to do with that. He loves the honor, would cherish it, I'm sure, but isn't going to want to be up there giving speeches talking about how great he was. So that I don't want to put this off as like <laughs> we're saying that they wouldn't enjoy the honor or they wouldn't want to return to Cleveland or something like that. That's why those teams were so interesting because the leadership was, it was all the quiet guys. and. It worked. Yeah, everyone says lead by example. I mean, eventually Lindor grew into that. But like 2016, it was Kluber and it was Brantley. It was Tomlin. Um, Carlos Santana, I guess. But it was, those were quieter guys who just led by example. Remember they remember they yeah. signed the, the document the summer before after the trades of Swisher yeah. and Bourne that said, what do we want to be? And, what do we want to stand for? And it was what Kluber, Gomes, was Kipnis in there? Kipnis and Brantley. Kipnis was—he could certainly be vocal, but those other guys were. But I don't more quiet, more behind the scenes. Kip, Kipnis, I don't think he relished that though. He could, and he he gave us some great quotes over the years, but I don't think it was a "Hey, everyone, crowd around here, look at me" sort of a thing for him either. So. 
the most vocal of of the guys that you listed maybe was Tomlin. Oh, Napoli but too. Again, yeah, Napoli. But Tomlin yeah. wasn't, again, Tomlin loved to talk, but it wasn't a, hey, crowd around me because I'm going to give the state of the team here. He just enjoyed talking because I think he liked forming relationships with with whoever he was talking to. It, interesting. And years from now, we'll be looking back at this upcoming 2024 squad talking about who the leaders were of this team. And some of the guys that were on this squad are going to be maybe in the future you're going to be able to see their uniforms, their jerseys in the crowd, but not because they were here for a long time. But it's not about being here for a long time. It's being here for a good time. One final look back at 2023 is in order, I think, Zach. You didn't give us an article this year. I think time just slipped away. But luckily for our listeners, they don't just consume you via words on a, on a screen. They get your voice, too, and they get this show. And I'm so happy that you're going to reveal them today. Your top random jerseys of 2023. I think this is even in order. Thank you. This is, this is meaningful. I... It's very cool that this has become a thing to the point that the Lake County captains had me out to Classic Park to host an event. Um, there have been talks about future events, too. More on that later. But that night was awesome. I think it kind of encapsulated the fun of all this. And I will say, part of the reason why there was no official article this year is this becomes more difficult every year. And the one thing I've done every year, I say, there's no way I can get a top 25 out of this. Like, we've we've seen all the jerseys there are to see. And then... I'm blown away and and it's October and I'm trying to narrow it to 25. And the one thing that's difficult though, is I've, I've always, I've eliminated repeats from the process. So there are some amazing ones and I've got this whole database where I can keep track, but you know, I have people sending me like, Craig Stammen every year, or Casey Kochman, or John Axford, or, you know, there are always Jack Hanahans, and Kosuke Fukudomes, and Shelly Duncans, and Vinny Pastanos, Justin Mastersons, Mark Reynolds, Ryan Garcos, like, those are all awesome, but we see them year after year, and I try to get just a fresh list every year, but that, that, that is really difficult. And this year, it was tough to get to 25 unless I got really creative or used some non-baseball ones. Um, that you know, the thing that was cool about that Lake County Captains game was we there was Ty Detmer, there was Omri Caspi, there was the old punter Brad Maynard. Like, why are we? What, what are you guys doing? Why are you buying that? I love it. I appreciate it. I encourage it. But it's also a little bewildering. Yeah, I mean, I mean, hold on. It's one thing to say that, but it's another for me to know you. And I was with you at a memorabilia event, and I saw the bobbleheads that you bought. So you don't need to be <laughs> ripping on anyone for having a Maynard jersey in their closet. No. After I saw I you buy an Anard Diaz Bard's bobblehead. <laughs> yeah, Josh Bard. <laughs> After I see you do that, you can't rip on anyone now. Let's be clear. 
So one of the fun things is to think about, you mentioned the 2024 team, and, and I feel like people will tweet this at me every season, but who are the players on the current team who are going to end up on this list in a few years? Because I had people send me like Ernie Clement, Owen Miller. Um, so I have a list here, this year's list, and it's going to be, it's we're going to do this differently. I think we'll make a big deal out of the top 10. I'll run through some other ones that were really good. But I think if we keep it to a top 10, I think that makes it easier in future years to just honor the ones that are that really totally. stand out. Totally. I mean, um, you we're running out of of past here. At, yeah. at some point you've you've done a lot of the the past ones. So if we're going to extend now into the future using more current players two, three years from now, yes, you need to shrink down the list a little bit. So that that makes total sense. And before we move forward, I do want to say, for those of you listening to this on just an audio-only medium, sorry, all you get is our words, but if you actually want to see the pictures, I'm going to drop those into the YouTube video. So find the YouTube channel, search the Selby's Godcast. Of course, we tweet it out. Find the, the actual video, and you'll be able to see we're going to drop it into the video here, and you'll just see it in real time. So an example, like like Mike Avilas would have cracked this year's list if I did a full top 25. But like, he was here for a little bit. Like, that was that's not... A cra- there are years in the past where he would not have sniffed the top 25. So that's one example. Another example, like Adam Simber. I don't know why someone is buying his jersey. He was... I don't know, the sixth best reliever on some of those teams when he was here, but whatever floats your boat, it's cool to have a uniform that has the hey, number nine. Maybe they threw they threw sidearm in Little League too. So maybe sure. that was it. Um some recent pitchers who again, like these will be awesome in five years, but like now, like they're good. Kirk McCarty, Anthony Castro, Dominic Leone. And people will always say, oh, well, you can buy those at Guards Fest or they have them on the racks. You're still paying currency, U.S. dollars, your hard-earned money to rep Anthony Castro's jersey <laughs> in public. Why not? If, if I were a friend of the show, Anthony Castro Vince, I think I would just write in Vince at there at the bottom. And it would totally apply. How about a Pittsburgh Pirates Kenny Lofton jersey? He played for that team for the first half of 2003. And that's it. (laughs) Immaculate grid superstar Kenny Lofton. Thankful for pit stops like that. How about not Fausto Carmona, but after he had... His real name had been revealed, Roberto Hernandez. It was a very short period of time where he went by that name in Cleveland. How about Toby Hera? And you have to go, you have to go out of your way because I don't think the team ever would have, no, sold that uniform. So you're going to have to go out of your way to get that. Three birthday cakes sold separately. I remember being at at the captain's event 
and this man was very proud of his Danny Salazar 2011 Lake County Captain's jersey. Pretty good. The first one we saw this season, spring training, a Gabriel Mejia minor league jersey. He never made it to the majors. It was one of those those minor league spring training jerseys that have like their names look like the mom next door screen printed them for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you bought that at Spirit Halloween. <laughs> um, some other ones I wanted to shout out from that captain's event in June. We had Dylan Windler, who I think is still on the injured list. Corey Bajorquez, punter extraordinaire. Chris Spielman. Delhi, who doesn't love Matthew Delavidova. Delonte West. Jordan Cameron. Courtney Brown. Brandon Barnes. Remember Brandon Barnes? Was that 2018 where he played a handful of games in September? Robert Griffin III. I have no recollection of him in Cleveland. <laughs> and you're better off for it, probably. <laughs> uh, ben Taylor, former Browns linebacker. And then the winner of... We had a contest at the captain's games. That, that, they asked me to pick my four favorites I had seen. Then we were standing on top of the dugout, and I eliminated one at a time. And the winner was a guy who was wearing a Cavaliers... Leon Poe jersey. He was like an undersized power forward. I think it was 2010, 2011. And that one hit home for me because I used to go to Cat like every Cavs game back then. And there was a a guy who was sitting a few seats away from me most nights. And he he better have been Leon Poe's dad because he is just screaming night after night to put Leon Poe in the game. And I, he is the only person who ever asked, requested that from any head coach. So uh, Leon Poe was your winner. But incredible. Let's get to the top 10. Number quick 10. Note, quick note before you begin. My first Browns uniform after they returned in 1999. So they were getting ready to return. And we made a trip to the to hall of the hall of fame here in Canton, and they ha- the only Browns uniform that they had for sale there was Chris Spielman, and we bought it. Of course, I I wanted my first Browns uniform for this current iteration of the Browns, and of course Spielman never played a actual regular season down for the Browns, but my first Browns uniform when they returned was Chris Spielman. My second was Tim Couch, so that, that makes sense. Chris Spielman. I think I still have that somewhere. I have Kevin Johnson. I do still have it. It still fits. I, I um, have a Kevin Johnson as well. Loved the count the couch to KJ connection. It was it was magic before magic was invented. <laughs> There's n- nothing on Flacco to Cooper though. Number ten for, for those for those that are uninitiated here. Where do these come from? What, how do you have these? What are they? Well, I have my millions and millions of eagle eye fans at every game. 
who are spotting these. Um, you'll see me often in the press box. Uh, my seat's in the front row, so I'm standing, leaning over out the window, scanning the crowd. Every night I do it, looking for something random. And like there are, I'll go get dinner before most games and on my way out, there's like a little perch that looks over the team shop in that area down there. I think Great Lakes Breweries over there is it, maybe it's Fatheads now. Um, that's usually a good spot to f- to find some people whether they're waiting in line for the team shop or having a beer and spot random jerseys there. So yeah, I mean, I it's the key is tagging everything with hashtag random jersey sightings, and and that allows me to go back and and see if there were any I missed that I didn't keep track of during the season but you know how it's it's therapeutic when you're sitting through a <laughs> yeah. lopsided game and it's sure. you're half paying attention and that's okay because it might be the eighth inning and you're bored but I have an opportunity to look up the stats of well number 10 Hunter Wood and the very brief time that he spent in Cleveland. That now looking back at that, that trade didn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> Just one of the many with the Rays where you're looking back and going, that didn't make a lot of sense. But at the time, I saw a guy that could throw in the mid nineties. I thought would be an okay reliever for this team for a couple years at least. And in seeing him, I didn't see anything that was too terribly dreadful. And then that was it. Okay. Brief stint. He was a small, skinny dude. I was always amazed that he could throw decent, reasonably hard. Very, 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 very quiet. Not the middle reliever who's going to give you your great quotes. Number nine. Mark Zepchinski, however, remember, he was on that 2016 team. I think he was even here. Is he here the year before? But then he came back in 2018 because, of course, he did. That team needed any reliever with a pulse. And when he came back in 2018, he wore number 33. Number 33 is the jersey we spotted this past year. But you're probably thinking, okay, a reliever five years ago, like that's that's reasonable. Is that really top 10 worthy? Uh, but in 2018, he pitched a grand total of two and two-thirds innings for Cleveland. <laughs> Which very, is like seven appearances. <laughs> small window. Not small enough for someone to not grab his jersey. Okay, that makes total sense. I'll give you credit for it, because I don't even remember that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember him coming back at all. Number eight, Tanner Tully. Now, this is one where, again, like, it'll be... If the person would have saved this for, like, 10 years and then busted it out, it would have been historic. But Tanner Tully is... One of the, like he was never 
He was never really like a prospect, honestly. He was filler. They badly needed a body. He made three appearances for Cleveland in 2022. Six innings. Ohio State guy. And the best part is I remember talking to him. We were in New York. And he could not have been more honest about, like, he knew that at some point that role, like, he was just going to be DFA'd because the way the ro- like the roster was set up. Um, remember, 17 players made their debuts that season. Guys were coming and going like crazy, and he wasn't someone that they desperately needed to hang on to. And I think he was. He and Kirk McCarty were like, they bounced back and forth a bunch and were DFA'd a couple times and passed through waivers and the McCarty was claimed. And then, um, so Tanner Tully, who I, I believe he wore 56, I believe at one point, might have been maybe spring training, he wore like 97. Um, so that's just, that's just one to, like it's a good one now because I don't think, if I asked you, to name the 17 rookies, he's going to be the the last guy you remember. But give that like five years, and that's going to be one of the best we've ever had. I'm ba- I'm I'm betting on on future performance there, not from him, from the jersey. The amazing thing is, this is not the first time we've talked about him on this show, and I can't remember. Was he? Part of a. Why do I in my brain have a, a a memory of us talking about him helping them get to the division title? Did he play some role in some big game? Well, McCarty. Did he McCarty some, had like the four some scoreless innings against the Twins in extra innings. McCarty, okay. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. That's a, th- that might be it. That might be it. Yeah, that and honestly, that's why McCarty didn't crack the top ten, but Tanner Tully did. That, that makes sense. Wow, because that's okay. So I'm, I pulled up the jersey, and it's it's his number ninety six jersey. He did not wear that. He wore it during spring training, so that makes it even better. Tanner Tully, Ohio State guy. All right, number seven, Mike Sarbaugh. Okay. That's semi-interesting, you say, but he was a member of this organization for a long time. Oh, but wait. I saw this man sitting outside of Butcher and the Brewer on East 4th. Looked like he was having a a meal and then was going to head into the game. And I tried snapping a picture of it. I couldn't. I, I was pretty sure it was number 87. And I'm like, the only way I can, I, I prefer, I want to have a picture. If I'm going to tweet this out with information and it's going to be a thing, I want to have a picture of the jersey, right? I didn't have a picture. So I didn't want to include it in the rankings unless I had confirmation that this was a jersey. So let's take it to the source. So I asked Mike Sarbaugh, I said, this might be stupid. Maybe you have a relative who was born in 87, but did you ever wear number 87? And he said, yeah, I did. Why do you ask? 
I said, well, there was someone wearing a Sarbaugh 87 jersey. And he said he wore it one spring a decade ago. <laughs> someone got what? it. How does that exist? <laughs> where, where does that come from? How know. do you get your hands on that? And why? <laughs> because this. Because it's so rare. <laughs> Even if it's not a highly coveted name, if you own the one in existence, it's rare. It's cool. And it's a conversation starter. It gets you on this show. <laughs> Random jersey sightings were the original NFTs. Exactly right. Well, you mentioned how you will be hanging out the window trying to get these pictures. You tell this story here. Have you ever seen the... I know you're watching it on Reels four months after it was popular on TikTok. Have you ever seen the videos of... The two people will be sitting in the living room and then the other person pretends to be scared and jumps up and runs out of the room because they want to see the reaction of the other person. And they want to... And oftentimes, as they're doing this, the other person will be like, what, what? And they jump up and they run, too, because they don't know what you're run, running from and looking at. But this is a, a trend that people have done over the years. This is like you and I would be walking down in the concourse. We'd be going to get food. All of a sudden, you'll just take off, dead sprint. And I'm, and I'm going, what, 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 who, who's, is there somebody chasing us? Do we do I have to sprint too? Like what that's what it felt like. You would we'll be just on our way to go get a burger, go down to get a pizza, and all of a sudden you just take off. You're fumbling around getting your phone out. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, 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 I see what it is. It's that Sarbaugh jersey. That's of course. And then I feel foolish. The best is like when I when I ask the person, hey, can I take a picture of your jersey? And they don't even know. Who it is. Yeah, I just picked this up somewhere and I'm like, this, no one will appreciate this but me. <laughs> Don't you realize what you have? <laughs> <laughs> Number six, Ron Valone. He pitched in Cleveland in 1998. And that's it. 27 innings. They weren't very good. Six ERA. So many walks. He pitched for a long but then, time. Kids, kids be left-handed. He, he, was, he was good after. He had some good moments after he left Cleveland. He was good before, too. And went back to being a starter, I believe, for a little bit. Was he part of the... Was it the... With the Brewers, right? Was it a... Literally name a trade. Was, he was part of it. Was it the Grissom trade? Was he part of that? All right. You want to go through this? 1992, drafted by the Mariners sure. first round. Sure, because this is what we're doing on this show, so whatever. <laughs> 1995, <laughs> Mariners trade him to the Padres for Andy Bennis at, at the deadline, so July 31st. That's going to be a popular day for him. One year later, July 31st, 1996, Padres trade him to the Brewers for Greg Vaughn. December of 97, the Brewers trade him with Mike Fetters and Ben McDonald to Cleveland for Marquise Grissom and Jeff Juden. Spent the 98 season 
released the following year, I think right around opening day, joins the Reds. Uh, in November of 2000, the Reds trade him to the Rockies. June 2001, the Rockies trade him to the Astros. Six months later, latches on with the Pirates, then the Diamondbacks, then the Astros, then the Mariners. Good 2005, July 31st, again, the Mariners trade him to the Marlins. Five months, four months later, the Marlins trade him to the Yankees. Joins the Cardinals, the Mets, the Nationals. This guy got 15 years <laughs> in the majors while having a 473 ERA. He was a starter. He was a reliever. He was wow. a starter. 717 appearances, 93 starts, eight saves. He wore 14 different uniform numbers in the majors. Or 14, I guess he wore 14 different jerseys. Played for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 12, 12 teams. Use him in immaculate grid, people. That's not bad. He's up there with Lofton. I'm sorry, this is all my fault. I do eventually want to talk about Zip's projections, so we should probably speed this along. <laughs> Number five, Jacob Cruz. Another outfielder from the late 90s. Not another outfielder. Thought he was going to be a stud. Thought he was going to be a stud. Yeah. He had some moments. He was actually with Cleveland for... From 98 to 2001, he just like never played. 72 games. And then they traded him for Josh Bard and Jody Garrett. That's a good trade. Number four. Ezekiel Carrera spring training jersey. Do you have any fond memories of Carrera? His time in Cleveland? Walk off, was it a walk off bunt or no? Yeah, I think it was the bottom of the eighth inning, a go ahead squeeze bunt. Squeeze bunt, that's what it was. Yeah. Against the Reds to push them to 30 and 15 in 2011. (laughs) I used to, uh, at 4 30 in the morning, have lengthy conversations with Mark Munch Bishop when I was over at KNR. And I would try to tell him that Ezekiel Carrera is a capable major league outfielder. And we'll play for a while. And he told me, no, this dude sucks. He's terrible. Look at look at the way he plays. He's terrible. How long was Ezekiel Carrera's career? Seven, we, we were, seven years in the majors. We were talking about him. What, what was the the twenty the game against Toronto? We were talking about 2016, him. In the 2016, he was on the Blue Jays. He was starting those playoff games. Yeah, ALCS. So, moderately lengthy, bigly career. Good job, TJ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shout out to number March. three, up, bud? Ricky Lede. Who could forget his few weeks in Cleveland in the year two thousand? Maybe the most traumatizing sports moment of my childhood: the trade of David Justice to the Yankees landed. Cleveland, Ricky Lede, but he only played 17 games in Cleveland before the Indians shipped him out to Texas to get David Segee. 
and that was the first trade Chris Antonetti ever actually like had a hand in as he was uh, doing some scouting research on Jake Westbrook, who they landed from the Yankees in that deal. So Ricky Lede, 17 games in the year 2000, wore number 23, which is now worn by Bo Naylor. Ricky Lede, one of the first guys I think of that had that that Yankee matchup. Shane Spencer, too, where they have a brief moment with the Yankees, and so for years and years, everyone's chasing that. Shane Spencer also came to Cleveland. He's not on this list, is he? He's not. That would be a good one. All right. The top two are really good, and I think you could put them in either order. We're going to go number two, Jake Jewell. You say, who is that? I've never heard of this person in my life. I say, well, he spent most of the 22 season in the organization. And you say, yeah, but I've never seen him pitch. And I say, that's correct, because he never did. He spent about a week to 10 days on the major league roster, never got in a game. Spent the majority of 2022 at AAA Columbus, but never pitched. But you don't have to pitch to have a jersey, and someone got his jersey. So kudos to them. Yeah, even those guys that get promoted but never never pitch, never appear, they had to wear a jersey on the field. They had to be ready to appear. And so the, you got clubhouse attendants all scrambling around make sure they got that, and it exists. Those are some of my favorite ones. Like, like that's a really good one because he was actually on the team during the season and never played. You'll you'll occasionally get like a Ryan Spielborgs or a I don't know, like a Jeff Francoeur would be good. I'm thinking of like those guys who were on in camp, never made the team. You'll see those sometimes because they save the jerseys yeah. and try to sell them in Goodyear. But Felix P. Jewel is really good. That's that last name fits. Well, if you're telling me that's not the best, then I am so here for the best. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next? Last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. So in my mind, the the rarity is great. I mean, like it's that's hard to top, right? That's a guy who was on the team but never got in a game. That's really good. The only thing that could make it better is if it was just older. Because they were probably able to sell Jake Jules jersey at Guards Fest or something and someone picked it up. But that's that's recent. This is not. Dave Hollins appeared in two games for the Cleveland Indians in 2001. Two games. That's it. He went one for five. <laughs> Hold on. Did you say 2001? Mm Mm-hmm. 2001. Two games. 
He joined the organization in August How? of 2000 after How? the Orioles released him. Stuck around for the 2001 season, but obviously spent most of it in the minors. Two games. A Dave Holland. How is that jersey. acquired? How does not only how does it exist? How is it acquired? How do you get that? That that had to have been in a closet this entire time. You don't just discover that now in the year twenty twenty. Well, the time this would would have been taken twenty twenty three. You don't just discover that now at Goodwill, right? <laughs> that has to be existing within your your wardrobe for a long, long time. Maybe that's like a family thing passed down from generation to generation. Yeah, or it could be it could be just someone saw an Indians jersey hanging out a rack. Hey, I guess I'll take this. I don't know who this is, but I'll just throw it on. But you took you it don't in. Even know how good it is. But but what rack would that have been on? Wouldn't it have had to be on one twenty years ago? And you've saved that jersey, and you still wear that jersey. All the stars who have come and gone through Cleveland. Yeah, you could have gotten a Jose Ramirez jersey, but I still have my Hollands. I'm gonna wear the Hollands. Cause who could forget? When he played on July 22nd and July 23rd, 2001. Both victories, by the way. Oh. oh. Drew a walk. Had a single. Sack bunt. War number 20. And he only had those two days. But the jersey shows he'll live on forever in Cleveland. (laughs) Forever within this show, in the picture, and just in infamy, in, in Cleveland lore. Wow. What a wild ride that is. Thank you for that, Zach. And you know, <laughs> I didn't anticipate this never is. This is always the case. I didn't anticipate spending 40 minutes on this. But we do this in large part because look at what the name of this show is. It's the Selby is Godcast. Without those random moments, this show doesn't exist in the manner that it currently does. Maybe it does, but it's not quite the same. And I, I, we get people on board over the years, and as that gets further and further in the past, Bill Selby hitting the Grand Slam off Rivera. They listen to the show. They enjoy it. At least I hope they do. They don't know where the name even comes from anymore. Maybe we get to a point where the name of our show is now bigger than the moment itself. Probably not. But we, we came together, I think, and, and developed our friendship in part because we both appreciate these the randomness of a franchise. Yeah, Jose Ramirez, absolute star. We talked about Michael Brantley and where, where he fits in Cleveland's franchise here. Star player, great moments. We talk about playoff games. We recap those. The things we spend the most times on, are, it's just stuff that maybe only 3% of the population cares about. But that's the bond we want to form with you. That 3% of the population, we love you. <laughs> we want you to be here with us as we go through Holland's jerseys. <laughs> Come on. I'm a sucker for nostalgia. If I'm scrolling through the radio and a song comes on that I haven't heard from since 2002, like that's going to be a great three and a half minutes. And it's the same thing. I haven't thought of Dave Holland. I don't even know if I thought of Dave Holland's in 2001. So it's fantastic. And uh, I appreciate everybody sending them in, keeping an eye out. Yes, yes. And having an interest. It's, it's, it, it's a bright spot during every season. 
There are few things better than going back through old boxes, old drawers, and finding mixed CDs from 2005. <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh my God, what is on here? It, it could be that song that you haven't heard since you lost that CD in 2006. <laughs> the funny thing, though, for Christmas, I, I got a, a CD and uh, some concert tickets for my wife. And as I was opening it up, I pulled out the CD and I realized we don't have a single CD player in this house. I have a radio that had a CD player in it and I put it out in the garage for when I'm just doing some work outside. I could listen to the radio, but the CD player in it does not work anymore. I, and of course, you would think stick it in your CD drive in your computer. Those don't exist. It's not on my Mac. None of the computers in our house that function have a CD drive. I have a CD. I can't put it in my car. Those are long gone. I have a CD that I can't play. I need to go to the store to buy a CD player so I can listen to the CD that goes along with the concert tickets for my wife. When was the last time you used a Walkman? I kind of wish I still had one. Nostalgia's cool, right? I'd love to have a Walkman. Clip it onto your the pocket of your pants? Yeah. What was the, was it called? Clips? Where it's just a, like an MP3 player that had one or two songs on it? I don't know. Do you, rem- do you have any memories of that? I had an MP3 player that had like, it could play 80 songs, I think. <laughs> 80. And at the time you're going, whoa, I don't even know if I know 80 songs. <laughs> now. Well, if you've made it this deep into the show and haven't abandoned us, thank you. Now we're going to talk about things to apply that apply to 2024. The Zips projections <laughs> are Stop out. living in the past. They've been out. We, we talked briefly about Andre Jimenez. There's good things suggested there. Believes more in his 2022 season, maybe more than it does this past year in 23. Which also points to, as we talked about, his age, too. There's still some room for you know to him to reach his peak season, at least according to a projection. You'd think maybe closer to the age 26, 27 is when he's going to be reaching that peak season. But there were good, good, good projections there for Jimenez. Nothing surprising about Jose Ramirez. But was there anything that did jump out to you as you were just perusing the Zips projections? Yeah, I wrote down five things. We don't have to spend a ton of time on them. Um, one, Josh Naylor. And, and I, we have to also recognize what these are. Take them for what they are, right? It's not like Zips just knows something that we don't and they... Like they know that this player is going to have a breakout season because they swallowed a magic potion over the off season. Like it, they they use the data at hand, right? So keeping that in mind for this one, they believe in Josh Naylor versus lefties, and that goes a long way. I think they projected him for a one twenty two OPS plus. So the takeaway there would be. What you saw last year is maybe that's for yeah, close to the ceiling, but closer to that than the platoon player we feared he might be before last season. Yeah, I think if if it's saying one twenty two for him, then you believe in you believe in Josh Naylor. Not that we had any reason not to. That was one. Two. Um, the Davis and Delos Santos projections are not kind. And look, he's going to spend. Half of next season as a kid not old enough to legally drink alcohol. So 
take that for what it's worth, but 75 OPS plus is pretty rough. That's lower than Miles Straw. Um, so it just that just caught my eye because if you want him to be part of this organization long term, you gotta keep him on the major league roster this season. And whereas Kyle Manzardo's projected for a 115 OPS plus, I don't know that there's room for both of them unless someone can play yeah. corner outfield. So De Los Santos has to be on the roster. Manzardo, they can manipulate if they want. But you can see by the projections, there's a huge stark contrast in what the projections say about what they're going to produce this season. So keep that in mind, too. Yeah, you're a, you and I are on the same path here. We're already starting to map out in our brains where this roster is going to be and who, if two guys can occupy a similar spot, if that's possible, and those those two are, are coming to mind, Manzardo and De Los Santos. We're going to get to that in the weeks ahead, starting to look at this roster as we get closer and closer to this being the actual team that they're going to take the field with in 24, including a Shane Bieber. Hmm. Uh I also have Manzardo written down. The projection is, is fine. It suggests he's an above-average hitter. But also keep in mind, this comes... Zips doesn't have the benefit of looking and seeing what he's done after a minor league season is over. It doesn't operate with the insight to know that he was dealing with being less than 100% this past year, and he, he needed some time to get back to being fully healthy. And so to me, I'm excited because if you're telling me this kid could be a 115 just based on what he was doing at the minor league level when he wasn't fully healthy, then this is a kid, again, I believe in. Now, I know the projections were better for him projecting forward as of last year. Maybe the outlook was a little bit better. But again, I'm factoring in, He now that we've seen him healthy and we've seen him take off and after the minor league season was over, he just continued to mash into the fall. I believe in that 115, and I think it could it, it could even be better. You could suggest that it could be better just based on the fact that there's knowledge here that the computer system can't fully encapsulate. And that's where it's important, I think, to take these with the grain of salt as you were talking about and knowing, you know, if a guy is tweaking in the offseason a, a pitch or he's going to use one more or less, that it, it can't know that. It can't know that until the data is actually in the system. Then it can start to incorporate that into its model. So for Manzardo... The fact that he can have elements of a down minor league season this past year, and it still looks like that for a projection, for a rookie, all on board that train. Yeah, on the pitching side, I don't have any like sweeping declarations here, except I think the bullpen will be fine. I think there's enough depth there to figure out the right pitchers for the right situations. I don't feel that way with the rotation. And I've, I've said this before, and maybe this ties into a Shane Bieber conversation if there's time to have it today, but you're banking... The, the best case scenario for the rotation is awesome. And that's reflected here. Tristan McKenzie... Shane Bieber, Tanner Bybee, Gavin Williams, and Logan Allen. I think the highest ERA of the bunch was 412 with Gavin Williams, and I think that's more a matter of he just doesn't have, there's not a ton of information on him. 
I think we both know he's got the stuff to be a lot better than that. So on the surface, it's like, hmm, that's very intriguing. Like Tanner Bybee, they say a 381 ERA. And it's like, yeah, because a lot of young pitchers have regression and what he did last year was awesome, but he's got to prove he can do it again. So my point here is, best case scenario is fantastic. It's an elite top five rotation in baseball. There's a lot of uh, potential potholes on that path to that, though. One being injury risk with Bieber and McKenzie. One being the other three guys are all rookies who haven't done it for a full 162 games. There is going to be regression. And then the big thing that stuck out to me was after that, it's dicey. And this isn't new. We've known this, but... Who are you looking to next on this list? Is it Joey Cantillo? I don't know that he's he's got some things he needs to to harness before he's ready for the majors. Is it Jaime Berea? I don't know. Like this, just it's kind of is it Xavion Curry? It's just it's pretty uninspiring list after that, and that's why. Again, none of this is new, and we've had this conversation all winter. But like, if you trade Bieber, what are you? What is? Man, that rotation takes a big hit, I think. Thank goodness for Ben Lively. Existing. Giving you that depth that you're hoping for. That projected 461 ERA with pretty uninspiring metrics. <laughs> yeah, this this to me spoke to the pain of having unproven pitchers in a projection system because it's it's doing what you're saying with the, the, the young guys that we saw that were either flashes of brilliance in the case of Williams or actual brilliance in the case of Tanner Bybee, it's still the, the computers want to see you do that again. Got to get a couple of years of doing that before we're going to believe that that is safely within the realm of, of, of repeatable for you. And so it, it, I look at it and it's not, it's not a great projection for the entirety of the group, but some of that I understand. You bake in the fact that you're dealing with first-year pitchers now entering their second year. Can't fully just believe everything they did this past year is is going to be repeated again. And the other thing is, you know, Bieber can give you a good projection, but there's an element there that the computers can't take into account is how much is he going to be able to be on the field? Is there going to be a re- recurring thing there with injury where it's going to be taking him off the map for any any length of time? The, the projections can take that somewhat into account based on the fact that you didn't pitch a lot this past year, but it doesn't know, you can't fully encapsulate that into the model so there is a lot of uncertainty there it's i don't want to keep harping on the cal quantrill thing but it's that was why that was a little bit confusing i know six million dollars but still i'm interested they have to address some of this depth i think before spring training starts and that'll be done through probably another minor league signing or two and someone that maybe even when they sign them, you think, and it's to a minor league deal, you'll think, ah, they're definitely going to be on the major league roster. It's a minor league deal, but they definitely look like someone that could be on the major league roster. I'm curious now as everyone's finding their homes and guys are going to settle for those minor league deals as you get closer to spring training, who that's going to be. But they need they need at least one or two of those guys that I think can occupy starter innings. And like, I think you're going to get that answer even before spring training on – where McKenzie's at, where Bieber's at. You're going to have a better feeling of how much they can help you because you learned that about McKenzie before the, the season even began last year. You're going to be able to look at Bieber's velocity. I know he worked hard 
this offseason has, has spent time at driveline, apparently. And so, you you know, where is his velocity going to be at? That's going to be part of the the story on what you think he's going to give you this upcoming year. And so to me, having that depth, even if it's minor league depth, you need it. You need it because I, I just have way too many questions about that next line of defense. I guess with the Bieber thing, my stance on that has not changed at all. I don't know if they'll trade him or not. My guess throughout the offseason has been yes, but I've also been steadfast in saying if I were them, I would not unless I'm blown away by some offer. And for all the reasons we just laid out, you don't have the depth to survive that. And this they know that. They, they have referenced how many starting pitchers they needed last season. Think back to the 2021 season and what a mess that was when they had a few starting pitching injuries. So... You know, it's, yes, two things can be true at once. Every time a pitcher is traded or signs, people say, oh my God, like imagine what they could get for Bieber. And at the same time, you have people saying on a day when a starting pitcher doesn't get signed or get traded, people are talking about can't trade Bieber now because his value is low. It can be somewhere in the middle. Like I know that they have talked to other teams about Shane Bieber, but Clearly, they haven't found an offer that they really like yet. And maybe they won't. Maybe, you know, you never know exactly how seriously a team is shopping someone or listening on someone. Like Bieber's name, they were going to trade him at the deadline over the summer. So, it's, of course, they are going to be talking to teams about him this winter. But a lot of that is due diligence, too, because they know that even if they hang on to him, there's a scenario where they would trade him this upcoming summer. So you just have to, depends what they want to do, how aggressively, how seriously do they want to try to win the division? Um, because it certainly becomes a, a more difficult task if you don't have him. Because I don't, I don't know what your, who your number five starter is. Or who your, you know, if you have an injury or two, I mean, are you looking up and it's like May 22nd and your rotation is Bybee, Allen... Berea, Curry, and Gaddis, like that kind of thing happens sometimes. If you're gonna get caught in that sort of situation, it's gonna be a long year. So it just it depends. Are you gonna get something that's actually going to be of value or are you just trading him to trade him? Um and we'll certainly have our answer in the next month or so, because I think you'll get to a point where if you were going to trade him just to trade him, you would have traded him already. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think it's an impossibility that could still happen. But I, from the minute the offseason began, have said that I'm skeptical about it. There are scenarios where it could happen, but I'm skeptical that it's going to happen. And I think a lot of people have positioned it almost like a certainty or better than 50-50 chance that he's not going to be here only based on the fact that he's going to walk at the end of the year. And based on track record, that's what the Guardians do with their pitchers. They trade them before they walk. But in this case with Bieber, I've just... If you're trading him for another major league player that has similar control, year or two, that helps fix the outfield, yeah, of course, you talk about it. But am I going to trade Bieber for somebody's 
11th and 13th best prospect who haven't, they haven't appeared above single A yet? Why would I do that? Why wouldn't I just keep Bieber? Anything. I'll keep Bieber. And then I'll hope that he pitches like a, a good number one, maybe number two. But you're going to get good performance from him. And at the end of the year, you still get, you slap the qualifying offer on him, you still get something when he walks. You get that compensation. So you're not getting nothing. You're just going to have to do it through the draft as opposed to picking somebody's, you know, kind of like what they've done here recently. Someone's got a re- one really good skill, but they haven't put it all together, so we'll target that guy and bring him into the organization. For what? So that's why I've remained skeptical. And maybe this is part of my face turn. Maybe this is, this is all part of it. But a, a couple of weeks ago, I was driving myself crazy with the Bieber thing, and there was Bieber and Classe rumors, and then there was the, the Josh Naylor thing that we were screaming about. And after that show was over, I realized... I'm not going to speak for you, but for me, I felt like I was just screaming a lot about things that, like, who am I screaming at? Do I believe this front office is a smart group that knows what they're doing most of the time? Yes. Do I trust that they're going, they're not going to trade somebody just for the sake of doing it, that they're just not going to acquire somebody's, like, they're not going to trade Josh Naylor for somebody's double A prospect? I'm skeptical. Am I skeptical that that's the case? Yes. And I trust that if they were to pull the trigger on Shane Bieber, it's going to be done because it makes sense. And so when I, when I made myself understand that, do I trust that the, if they're trading Shane Bieber, it's for somebody that can help you now, as opposed to trading him the scenario that we already presented? I, I think you need to go easier on yourself. I understand you want to spend, you're spreading positivity in 2024. That's your your bullshit thing here, but I, I know <laughs> <laughs> there are three things. It's not bullshit. You, I mean it. <laughs> have you questioning this? And and it's understandable in my view. One, the front office had a bad year. So you could have faith in them, but I think there is appropriate second guessing going on that maybe you wouldn't have explored as deeply before last year. Two, Uh, ownership plays a role in this and there have been times where it seems like they are just willing to take the very best offer because money creates deadlines for them. And a lot of times they're still able to extract value in those situations, but that has been, it kind of ties into my third point. My third point is like a lot of their offseason moves so far don't really make sense or add up. And if you put all those three things together, um, you'd come up with the conclusion that if money is tight, and then wouldn't the guy who's projected to make $12 million make sense to move instead of moving Quantrill and getting Barlow and paying Loriano and paying Hedges? and like it, it hasn't added up. So that's why, again, my guess has been that they'll trade him, but... I, that that's not like me reporting this is going to happen whatsoever. I, I have been steadfast throughout the offseason that I don't think it makes sense to trade him unless for some reason there's so much uh, activity and desperation on some teams' parts that someone's like, hey, we got to give you this, we'll give you this really good prospect or we'll give you this established outfielder. And like, I, it's hard for me to envision that but not impossible. I just, it's, 
it would make more sense to hang on to him, I think. But I understand your skepticism about all of this just because it's been atypical that they haven't hit on things as frequently as they had in the past. And this offseason is very atypical in that we don't really understand what they're doing and they haven't explained it well or at all. So it's it makes it more difficult to forecast what's going to happen because what has happened is head-scratching. Okay, that's true. And I think you're spot so on So you can yell that. at whoever you want to. You don't need to feel bad about it. But here, here's what I'm saying. I will get mad about the moves that don't make sense that they make. What I need to stop doing is getting pre-mad and, yeah. and working myself working myself up over things that haven't happened or I don't believe really, like the, the nailer thing. I feel like I was yelling and screaming like they actually made the move, and then I had to take a step back and realize they know all of the same things we're saying right now. I'm not smarter than anybody in the front office. They know these things. But and so also, do I like, trust that they're going to they're gonna follow logic here? <laughs> but I just, I have faith that they're going to follow logic. And if they make a terrible move, then I'm going to have so much time and so much built-up energy that I'll be able to scream about it then. But I need to stop getting myself worked up. If, if I, why, why are they listening to Josh Naylor, TJ? You know this answer. It's because they listen on everything. Everything. That's why they're doing it. They listened on Josh Naylor Does over that the mean, summer when he was having his career year. Yeah. Does that mean that they're going to trade him? Did they trade him this past summer? No. And as we talk about all the time, everybody's discussed at all times. Everybody is discussed at all times. Do, do you think a team in the, in the midst of having conversations brought up the name Tanner Bybee? Do you think it happened? I'm not. I'll tell you what. I will not say that that's impossible. There is a chance that that happened. Does that mean they're trading Tanner Bybee this offseason? No, no. So where I'm getting upset now at me, look at me, I'm yelling. I'm yelling. Now I'm yelling at me. I need to stop yelling you about things. You made it four days. <laughs> the things that aren't going to happen. I'm like, I'm like a significant other yelling at my spouse for cheating on them in a dream. I'm, I'm making up the scenario in my head and then getting mad about it. I need to stop that. Well, then don't get mad at the Zips projections either because those aren't real. <laughs> I'm not mad about them. In fact, I thought there was a lot of positive in there. You mentioned the bullpen. Think of the time that, that of the writing of that article. They were like the third best projected bullpen. They they see some good things for that bullpen, and that that was a problem heading into this offseason. We wanted to make sure you trusted that group a little bit more than you did this past year. A healthy Sam Henches, Barlow being a part of the mix, maybe just some better luck for Emmanuel Classe. My greatest takeaway was, it's a weird team. It's a weird roster. <laughs> I have no idea what this is going to look like this year. I think some of that uncertainty and that mystery makes it fun. If you want to spin it positively like you want to for the next 362 days. Critical thinking. That's what I need. I need more critical thinking than I have had. 
But I'm putting that on me. Any criticism is of myself in this scenario. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll get back to a semi-normal-ish schedule coming up in the, the weeks ahead. We have, As we mentioned on Patreon, we have so many things planned and in the works. We can't even mention some of the things that we have planned, but some really cool ideas floating around. So don't go anywhere. Stay right here. And thanks to Nick Goody 